All right, well, you can go ahead and grab a seat at all of our locations. And man, welcome to Northridge Church. We are honored and excited that you are joining us this weekend, no matter where that is, whether you're on our online campus, our Webster or Rochester campus, can I just say welcome home and thanks uh, for being here and welcome to Northridge Church. And, you know, we've heard this before, but 2020 was, it was a difficult year. It was, it was a hard year. And at some level, I, I think 2020 is indebted to us. It, it owes us something, right? And maybe just what it owes us is a couple laughs, right? A, a couple more giggles. Like in 2020, we probably didn't laugh a whole lot. And so, you know, we've been bringing memes to, to start off to get us in a happy, uh, smiling mood. And so I did a little extra homework. And what I mean by that is Laura Capuano gave these to me. Um, but I brought my top five memes of 2020 for you. Y'all ready? Okay, well, we're just going to pass this then. You, you aren't ready for this. Let's try it again. Y'all ready? I'm sorry, you guys ready? Okay, okay, all right. Well, let's start, let's start at number five. Here we go, number five. Here's Sue, she's 31 years old. She's been homeschooling her kids for the last five days. Great job, Sue, keep it up. And I know like all the moms and dads are like, amen, this has been a hard year. I didn't know I was homeschooling and I became a teacher this year. Shout out to all our amazing teachers, by the way. You know what I'm saying? All right, number four, here we go. This too shall pass, 2020, it's speaking of. It might pass like a kidney stone, but it will pass. I, I've never had a kidney stone, but I, I heard they're really bad, so yeah, that makes sense, right? Number three, here we go. In an unsettling reversal of my teenage years, I'm now yelling at my parents for going out. <laughs> Yo, I, I get this. I was like, Mom, you are staying in the basement in lockdown, right? No, <laughs> gotta be safe. Number two. 2020 was a scented candle. <laughs> I love candles, and if you've never smelled that smell, just go to Lancaster, Pennsylvania. You'll get a good whiff of it. If, if you've never been there, that doesn't make sense. It's not funny. All right, number one, here we go. A lot of meat left on that bone. <laughs> yeah, if I told you in 2020 bidets were making a comeback, would you believe me? Right? We, we, we lost all toilet paper in our minds, but it was a hard year, and hopefully that, that makes you giggle a little bit, makes you smile, because you know what? We should smile in, in the church, because man, we're here to worship Jesus, and that's worth smiling over, you know what I'm saying? And so as scary as it sounds, we've been going back to 2020 in a series called Silver Linings, and, and really we've just been kind of asking, like, what did God refresh us in, or what did he teach us in 2020? What are the silver linings out of a difficult year that we need, we must take into 2021 with us? And we've talked about, too, already, relationships, how vital and, and key they are to our spiritual success in, in, in a season where we were alienated from some of those, that we desperately need them. We need to be together. And then last week, Pastor Melvin, y'all like Pastor Melvin? He was pretty awesome, wasn't he? Yeah, Pastor Melvin was great. It was great to have him here. And he talked about unity in a, in a divided culture, how unity is not us all thinking the same, all, us all being uniform, but unity is actually our different perspectives and backgrounds actually coming together make us better. And so we need to strive after unity. And we're going to continue in looking at the third silver lining. And I think when it comes to, to 2020, one thing God refreshed us in and taught us was he gave us a greater understanding for the word church, right? Isn't that what 
what we call this right here, right? We, we, we go to church, right? Or do we really? Like, I think in 2020, God re- reminded us of who the church is and what the church is, right? He, he kind of put a new perspective in, in our way of thinking. And what we call this in, in the theological word is eschatology, right? Ecclesiology, I'm sorry, ecclesiology. You don't want to get those two mixed up. They're totally different things, right? Ecclesiology. And what ecclesiology is, it's a big word, right? Maybe you heard it before. It just simply means the study, the theology, or the doctrine of the church, it's digging down and getting a good understanding of what the church is and who it is made up of. And really, that's what we're going to talk about today. What is the church? And under that large umbrella of the church, I think God taught us in 2020 three valuable lessons that we should take and remember in 2021. And I think the first lesson we learned is probably the most significant. We learned that the church isn't a place, it's people. You see, the church was never designed to be a building, to be a destination, a location. The church has always historically been about a movement of people carrying the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so the church has always been about people. In fact, if you study the Greek, so in the New Testament, there's a Greek word that they use for church. It's ekklesia. Right? It's used 116 times in the New Testament. And the word ekklesia simply means gathering. A gathering of people or a meeting of people, right? And so it, it's used a couple, let me, let me give you a, one illustration of this word ecclesia. Matthew chapter 16, Jesus is speaking to his disciples at one of the darkest places in that culture. And here's what he says. He says, and I tell you that you are Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church, my ecclesia. And the gates of Hades will not overcome it. Okay, so let's make a distinction here. This should be obvious, but Jesus is not talking about building this marvelous building. You know, a building with nice chairs, of course, like LED screens, some projectors, moving lights. So we got, right, that's the church. No, he's not talking about building a building. He's talking about a movement he's going to create through these 12 guys and people carrying the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he says, hey, that movement cannot be Stopped. Let's go to another one, Acts chapter 2. This is the, the early church here. It says, praising God and enjoying the favor of all people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Again, here, when he says they're, they're adding to their number, he's not talking about an addition to a building. He's not adding on a larger room to hold more people. No, God is saying, hey, I'm adding people who are being saved to the church, which is a group of people, a movement of people. But maybe my favorite is here in Romans, the Apostle Paul, chapter 16, he says, greet also the ecclesia, the the, the church that meets at their house. Now, it would be really awkward if, for those of you who showed up at one of our campuses, it would be really awkward if you walked up to the building and said, well, good morning, building. How are you? You look fine today. In fact, if you did that, we might have our security come and, you know, make sure you're okay. Because we don't greet buildings. What do we greet? People. Right? And, and, and Paul makes a very clear distinction here in, in Romans chapter 16. He says, greet the church, the people of God, And then he says, hey, that meet at their homes, right? Because the church isn't a location, it's not a place, it's always been about people. 
And it, scripture continues to dig this into our minds and our hearts because church is not a day, it's an identity. Church is not a culture, it's a community. Church is not a sermon, it's a service. Church is not a facility, it's a family. In fact, yesterday I was at a baby dedication. It's about 30 people there, believers, followers of Christ. And guess what? We were the church right there. It wasn't Sunday, Saturday, right? And we were the church because it's not been about buildings. It's been about people. In fact, let's dig a little bit deeper, right? Because when the Apostle Paul teaches on the church, he, he uses three illustrations that are different, but come back to the same point. If you go to Ephesians 5, the first illustration Paul gives representing the church is a body, right? You're part of a body. And in fact, look what he says in Ephesians chapter 5. He says, after all, no one has ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body, just as Christ does the church, for we are members of his body. And so here he illustrates the church as a body. And us in the church, the people of God, are a part of that body. And then in the very next verse, he switches gears. He says, okay, the church is illustrated as a body. How about this time we do a bride? The church as a bride. And so in the very next verse, we, we, we see this passage, uh, you know, at wedding ceremonies. He says this, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh, the joining of together. He says, this is a profound mystery, but I am talking about Christ and the church. Again, here, a marriage, and that we are a part of a marriage as a bride and a groom come together. But then the third illustration that the apostle Paul uses in, is in 2 Thessalonians, he refers to the church as a family. This is one of my favorite because this is why at Northridge Church we say welcome home. Welcome to the family because we as Christ followers are part of the family of God. And look what he says in 2 Thessalonians. He says, we ought, to always, we, we ought to always thank God for you, brothers and sisters. Now notice you won't see the word church there. But you see a term, brothers and sisters. And if you read the Apostle Paul's writings, he often, when he says brothers and sisters, he's referring to people who have placed their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And he doesn't use this metaphorically. He's actually talking to his family, not actual relation, but family through the blood of Jesus Christ, right? That's the church. We're, we're all family. We're united together under who Jesus is and what he accomplished for us. We are a family. And here's what I want you to notice about these three things. Okay, don't miss this, right? Because it could be weird, like, okay, we're a bride, we're a body, we're a family. Like, where are you going, Paul? But notice, these are not places that you go, but they are things you are a part of, right? Don't, don't miss the significance here. You're, you can be part of a body. You can be part of a marriage, and you can be part of a family. And what we have to remember is the church is not a place that you go, but it's a thing that you are a part of. It's not a destination. We don't go to church. We are the church. And we are a part of it. And so you get the point. Scripture drills this in our head. It's not a place. It's a movement of people. You are either part of the church or you are not. So the first lesson we learned is that church isn't a place. It's people. And I think that the second lesson we learned under that umbrella of church is how resilient the church is. We learned that the church is resilient. In fact, let's say that word together. You say resilient. All right, guys, come on. The bills are playing, 640. I know you're going to be louder than that. 
Okay, so come on, come on. It, this is not a spectator sport. We're going to preach the Word of God together and believe it. Let's say resilient. resilient. All right, that's what I'm talking about. The church is resilient, right? And we, we learned that because in 2020, and, and this is not true of just 2020, but in 2020, we had to navigate some really weird and awkward decisions that, man, I never thought I would ever have to make in ministry. And when I, when I say resilient, I think I want to define that word two ways. The first way is the church's ability to endure hardship, right? 2020 was, was a hard year on the church when it comes to just things we had to navigate, decisions we had to make. But this is not just true of 2020. This is really historically true about the church because the church, if you go back to its beginning and, and, and all the way in between, the church over its history has to endure a lot of things, persecution pain and suffering. This isn't the first virus, an outbreak that the church had to navigate through, if you know the church's history. And here's what's fascinating about enduring hardships is actually when the church is persecuted, when the church suffers, when the church goes through difficult things, guess what happens? It usually thrives. When the church is persecuted, it's actually the greatest growing season for the church, for people to come and get to know Jesus. And here's what's crazy about that. Here's what's absolutely mind-blowing about that. What's crazy is the very thing that often makes the church successful is the very thing that the church doesn't want God to bring. Oh, let, that, let that seep in for a second. I would doubt that any of us this morning or in our time with God this week prayed, God, persecute the church so that we would grow. God, make our lives miserable so people would experience who you are. Right, that's not, what, that's not what I'm praying, so don't feel guilty, right? Like, I'm not in my, in my morning time, like, yeah, God, I'm ready to suffer. Bring it on. Here we go. That's usually when the church thrives is when we have to endure and persevere. And let me put it to you like this. I'm a dad, a parent, like many of you, your grandparents, your moms, your dads, your aunts, your uncles. And if you're like me, uh, you know, you probably pray pretty regularly this prayer. I pray this over my kids all the time. God. Keep them safe. God, protect my kids. Keep them comfortable. Watch over them. Keep them from danger. And if you pray that prayer, man, I think that's an important prayer to pray over your kids. But as I was praying it this week, I was a little bit convicted. Because I never pray, God, bring some struggle into my kids' life so that they, their faith would become theirs and not mine. God, let my children Keep them from evil, but God, make their life a little bit hard that they would know to trust you and not in mom and daddy. And I, I was convicted because what often happens in my life, and this is probably true for yours, is I don't grow spiritually when I'm comfortable, but when I'm thrust out of my comfort and I experience pain is when I truly grow with Jesus Christ. Right? Like I grew more in my life from a job loss than I did a raise. I grew more when I lost my dad walking through grief than I have in any season of comfort because comfort usually doesn't bring spiritual success, but pain does. But we don't want to experience it. And I think that's why 1 Peter talks to the church. He says, dear friends, don't be surprised at the fiery ordeal that come on you to test you. He says, hey, don't be surprised when God brings, he says, fiery ordeals. That's just Greek for 2020, right? Like, don't be surprised when life gets painful because guess what God is doing? He is testing and stretching your faith. 
He says, don't be surprised that something strange were happening to you. But then he says, hey, let's shift our perspective as the church. He says, but rejoice in it as much as you participate in the suffering of Christ so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. See, what Peter says is he says, hey, the church has had this ability to endure hardship because through hardship, guess what happens? We get a glimpse of God's glory that maybe we've never tasted, right? To, to, to persevere, you get a glimpse. Isn't that what we pray for on, on Sundays when we gather as worship online or here? Right? Show us your glory, God. Show us, reveal your glory to us. But do we really know what we're singing? Do we know what that might mean that we might have to actually endure pain to see God's glory? Right, let me put it more relevant, right? Today's a big day in New York, right? 640, Buffalo Bills. I don't know if you guys know this, but the Buffalo Bills play the Kansas City Chiefs for, to go to the Super Bowl. Okay, apparently no one's excited but me. I put a Bills jersey on for you guys to be excited. <laughs> okay, just so you know, I'm still a Cowboys fan, but I'm, I am rooting for the Bills tonight. You will hear me screaming as hard as I can, all right? But here's what I love about Buffalo Bills fans is they know pain. <laughs> See, it was all set up to just like, boom, <laughs> gotcha. But no, seriously, the Buffalo has endured. Like, I'm talking about real fans. I'm not talking about people who, you know, just wear a, a jersey on Sunday. But I'm talking about the people who have been with the Bills forever. You guys know pain because even when you were, like, really good, you weren't good enough. Just two words bring pain, right? Like, right, wide right. It's crushing. I know. I get it. I don't, actually. <laughs> But here's what I know about pain is when you endure it and endure it and endure it. And when the Bills win today and they go to the Super Bowl, that glory will taste really good because you've endured the pain. And that's exactly what's true about God's church as we go through hard seasons that God takes us through to test us, to, to persevere us to, so we can endure. When we make it through the other side, as hard as it might be, we get a glimpse of who our God is that we might never experience if we weren't willing to endure the pain, the hardship. And God's church is historically resilient because it has endured hardship. But another way I want to define resilience is just two words where the church is creative and flexible. Man, in 2020, we've, we've had to, to adjust and adapt to a unique season. We've had to learn to do ministry in, in different ways because of the season that we were in. And what I love about the church is it, it isn't banking on a building that maybe we might not be able to use, but we can be creative and flexible in bringing the hope of the gospel at any time in any season. In fact, here's what I want to do right now. I want to brag on you guys. And when I say you guys, I mean the church. <laughs> you realize that you are the church. I want to brag on you guys because in a difficult season where we were making decisions at a moment's notice with things changing, we rose up in a season where there wasn't a lot to be excited about. In fact, let me tell you about that. And if you're a guest here today, you're watching online or you're at one of our campuses, I want you to lean in here because here's what I want you to know about this place. Northridge Church, what, what makes this place great has nothing to do with the buildings we gather in, the screens that we have, the style of music we sing. What makes this place great is the people who make up this church, their love and their care for their community and for their brothers and sisters because of who Christ is and how he is living inside of us and how we project that. And I want to I just talk about how we did that in a unique year. You know, in 2020, right, there was a lot of needs. A lot of needs in our community. And one of those major needs was food. 
And so our Rochester campus, for six months, we couldn't gather here. And so our outreach team decided, hey, the lobby out there, we're, we're going to turn it into a food pantry. And so what, what that resulted in, our church, the people of our church, they drove their cars in, and we gave 396 carloads of food were dropped off by you guys. We wore those masks, and we had bottles of spray, and we were cleaning everything that we could. And then we took those carloads, and we gave away 245 pantry boxes to families in need. Come on, that's the church. That's amazing. You know what else we needed in 2020? We needed encouragement, hope. Like, it just kind of seems like it faded. And one area that there was a lot of hope being lost was the hospitals, right? The frontline workers. Shout out to our nurses, our doctors, the people who worked really hard in this season. And you know what we did? We delivered 796 meals to healthcare workers in 2020. We, we delivered over 600 letters and cards and notes to nursing home residents who couldn't be with their family. Say, we're the church and we care for you and we are here for you. And what else did we do? We opened our community. We opened our doors to our community. One thing in, in 2020 that was, was kind of slipping away was blood. Something we don't often think about, but blood, I think it dies in like 44 days and so the Red Cross couldn't find a place to have a blood drive. And so we opened our doors. We weren't using them to say, come use here. We had 12 blood drives right here in our campus, resulting in 440 units of blood that will save people's lives. We went digital and, and, and on television to, to reach as many people with the gospel. And here's what's crazy. Think about this. On our online campus throughout today, Sunday, we will have 1,500 devices log on to our online campus to hear the amazing news of how good God is and what he, what he did for us. 1,500 devices. So think about that for a second. That's not people. That's a device. We have no clue how many people are sitting watching that device. Could be one person. Could be two people. Could be five. Could be a community group. Could be. It's a huge audience of people that we can bring hope to because of technology. Our, our ministries found a, a unique way in 2020 to, to do things. Like, we Zoomed it, right? I don't think that's actually how you say it, but I like it. We Zoomed it, right? Some of you have never used technology. You're like, yeah, I'm a Zoom master now, <laughs> right? Our community group Zoomed our NYM. Instead of just, you know, canceling student gatherings, we, we, they went on, uh, on Zoom and gathered as a, a bunch of teenagers, we found unique ways to, to, to love people and care for people. And not only was it just our community, but we reached out to the broader Big C Church. We gave $15,000 away to churches in Central America to help them with COVID relief and, and uh, um, hurricane relief. And for a second, this is where I clap for you. Because I am so proud of you guys and our church. Because that's what the church is. When our community needs help, we rise up. When people need hope, guess where they get it from? The church of Jesus Christ. And that's what we did in 2020. And I'm proud to be a part of Northridge Church with you guys because we could have easily sat around in our fear. We could have easily sat around and be like, hey, I'm in need. But we stood up, we brought food, we got blood. We did all that we could in creative and flexible ways to tell our community, we will be here for you. That's the church of Jesus Christ. It's not about a building. It's not about concrete. It's about a movement of people who believe in the gospel. And so we learned that the church is not a place, it's people. We learned how resilient the church is. And then I think the third lesson we learned was the church is vital and unstoppable. You know, in 2020, you're probably sick of hearing this word, but it's the coined word of 2020, essential, right? Yeah, oh, that's right. No, you don't be sorry. Talk to me all you want, girl. Right? Our government told us, like, what work is essential and what work isn't. 
what jobs matter and what jobs don't. And you know, all throughout 2020, here's a belief that grew in my heart more and more and more is that the most essential thing available to this world and to our community is the church of Jesus Christ. Can I get an amen? Amen. Come on, that, that is the reality that just grew in my heart is like, hey, we are the hope of the world, right? We, we are the hope of the world, and, and that's just not words that come out of our mouth. We are that because the church of Jesus Christ carries the most amazing and best and most important message in history. It's that Jesus came to rescue us from our sins and give us a hope of eternity. That Savior can intervene anybody's life at any moment and change their perspective and change their eternity. You want to talk about essential? The church of Jesus Christ is essential. It's vital for not only our success, but for the success of our community and our world. And I just believe that with my whole heart. That's why Jesus gave up his life for the church. But also, I recognize how unstoppable the church is. You know, you go back to Matthew chapter 16, Jesus is speaking here, and he says these words. He says, I will build my church. And I love that, those words because we have to recognize that the pressure is off of us, right? Because Jesus says, he's going to build it, we're not. Okay, so he, we get to be a part of it. He's the foundation. He gives us a hammer and says, hey, this is where you put that stone. This is where you put that brick. But we can't mess up God's church because it's not dependent on us. It's not dependent on a song or a sermon. It's dependent on Jesus Christ. That's where it belongs. And he says, because it's dependent on me, nothing can stop it. Nothing can stop it. Here's what we learned in 2020. A global pandemic cannot stop God's church. We learned that social unrest cannot stop God's church. Well, heck, the government might try to stop God's church, but it can't. Heck, Jesus says all of hell and all of the powers of hell doesn't have a chance to stop what God is building because we are the church of Jesus Christ. And when you think about that, you think about the history of the church. You see, the church started with Jesus. Right? Christmas, that's what we celebrate. God coming from heaven to earth. And Jesus was born as a baby. And as he grew older, he began his ministry. And, and, and a big chunk of his ministry was pouring into 12 guys, his disciples. And he poured his life and what he knew, his knowledge and his theology into these guys. And, and the 12 disciples, while Jesus was here, grew to 120 followers of Jesus Christ. And, and at 120 followers of Jesus Christ, guess what happens? Jesus dies. He rises again. And then he, he meets with the 120. He says, hey, I want you to take this message to everywhere in the world. And then he leaves. Like, what, 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 what? God, why are you going? You said you were going to build this thing. No, he says, I'm going to build it. You're going to do it. And guess what happens? 120 disciples of Jesus Christ. If you skip ahead all the way to 2021, Christianity is still the largest religion in all of the world at 3.2 billion followers of Jesus Christ. You want to know why? Because God's church is unstoppable. Because he's building it, we aren't. And man, I'm grateful today to be a part of God's church. And I don't mean it's a part of a building. I'm a part of believers in Jesus Christ. And we are resilient we can endure anything that, that, that comes our way, any season or any circumstance, and we can be creative and flexible, bringing the gospel to anyone and everyone because we are essential. The church is essential to our community, and we cannot be stopped. And so as we think about the, what God has given us a fresh perspective on his church, what it is, I really have just two questions for you. 
Two questions that I want to marinate in your soul and in your head. I want them to re- reverberate around your, your mind this week as you discuss it with your community group, whether that's in person or on a Zoom link. I want you to chew on these two questions. And the first one is really simple, is are you a part of the church? Are you a part of God's church? And, and, and here's what you have to understand. I'm not asking you. If you show up every Sunday, whether online or in person, I'm not asking you if you serve with your gifts in student ministry or on our tech team or in kids ministry. I'm not asking you if you're a part of a community group and you found good biblical friendship. I'm not asking you if you give financially to God's church because what we have to understand is all those those things are great and they're needed. They will never make you a part of God's church. There's only one thing. One distinguishing factor about you and about me that will make us a part of God's church. And first Peter, he describes the church and then he brings up this distinguishing factor. He says, but you, the church, are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him, that's Jesus, who called you out of the darkness and into his wonderful light. You see, there it is. You see, what makes you a part of the church is the fact that Jesus and his grace and his love and his mercy was willing to go to a cross and die for your sins, to pull you out of the depths of your darkness and the depths of your sin and say, through my death and through my resurrection, hey, I'm going to pull you out of darkness and I'm going to bring you into the light of a relationship with me. And that decision the most important decision you will ever make in your life to follow Jesus, to make him your forgiver and your leader, that is what makes you part of his church. It's when you surrender your life to Jesus and you say, God, I want you to forgive me of all the darkness in my life and I want you to give me a fresh start where I can turn from that and I can follow you. And when you submit your life to Jesus in a moment, you become a part of God's church. That's how to ask you. Are you a part of God's church? And I say this as as gingerly as I can, but if you have never placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, you are not part of the church of God. And, And I don't say that to ostracize you. I don't say that to alienate you. I say that to invite you in to say, man, I'm waiting. This church, the people of God are waiting to embrace you as a family member, to say, hey, welcome home to the church of God, to celebrate that decision of you placing your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And so if that is you, and you've never done that, then I would just challenge you to do your research to ask your questions. Reach out to a campus pastor to go to iwant.info and just said, I need Jesus. I want to be a part of the church. And let me tell you, it would be our privilege. It would be our honor. It would be our joy to introduce you to Jesus and say, welcome to the church, to his church. So are you a part of God's church? But then the second question really is for the rest of us who would say, man, I know Jesus. I'm a part of his church. And I would just simply ask you in 2020, Did you act like the church? Uh, I just think 2020 was pretty revealing for all of us. We waded through really hard and difficult decisions. And I wonder if maybe some of your true colors were revealed. How you responded on social media, 
the emails you sent, how you acted and worked, the things you said about people. I wonder if in 2020, we were and we acted like Christ's church because at some level, we have, to, we have to carry that weight. We are the church, right? And here's what that means, that, that we are God's ambassadors. We carry the name and the gospel of Jesus Christ. And what that should do is that should sit pretty heavy on our shoulders. It should change the way we act and the decisions that we make, the way we post on social media, the way we text message, the way we go to work because we represent Jesus Christ. And I don't care if you believe it or not, the world is waiting and watching how the church responds in hard years like 2020. And have you acted like the church? And what that means is have you been resilient in even a hard season? Have you rejoiced in your suffering, not whined and complained about it? Have you had hope or have you ran around in fear? Do you feel like nothing can stop you because of who is for you and in you? Have we been unified together or have we been a part of the division that is ripping us apart? Have you allowed the imperfections of other Christians to keep you from the very thing you need, the church of God? Have you valued obedience over convenience? We are the church, and that should matter to us. We represent Jesus, and that should be important to us. But what does that look like? What does it look like to be the church? And I always come back to Matthew chapter 5, and I'll close here. And as I read this verse, I, I want these words, these perfect and holy words of God to pour over you, to challenge you to look and act and be the church. Look what it says. It says, you, the church, us, believers, are the light of the world. We're the hope to this dark and, and dreary world. Because a town built on a hill cannot be hidden. You cannot hide the goodness of Jesus because neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In that same way, let your light, your life, your testimony, your actions, your responses shine before others so that they may see your good deeds and not notice you and not give you the credit but they would recognize who lives inside of you and it would bring glory to your father in heaven we are the church we should act like it let's pray together god help us to do that and i i say those words really strategically because we recognize that we can't do it on our own impossible. We need your spirit to guide us and lead us. And so help us to be the church that you're calling us to be. May we look more like you, God, than ourselves. In Jesus' name.